I'm Bill Moyers. It's good to have your ear. Veteran National Security reporter Jonathan Landay and former Marine Captain and Foreign Service Officer Matthew Ho on the new war in the Middle East. Is this really our model for the Middle East that we are going to bomb countries continuously, take part in civil wars, sometimes supporting one side, maybe supporting the other, with no means or no real desire or effort to achieve a peace? We keep finding ourselves trapped in this endless cycle, but perhaps that's the curse of being the country that we are. Uh, the country we have been since World War I. As much as President Obama wishes we weren't the world's policemen, perhaps we are. Thanks for joining us. Here we go again. Over 23 years, four consecutive presidents have ordered the bombing of Iraq by U.S. forces. It's what one of my guests calls the nightmare of Groundhog Day, facing the same problem over and again. Just a year ago, Barack Obama told the United Nations that he was determined to end America's perpetual war footing in the Middle East region. But this week, the president returned to the U.N. to announce, not yet, and to assert that the U.S. intends to unleash more air power to defeat the Islamic militants who swept across large areas in Iraq and Syria. With a first round of drones and missiles unleashed inside Syria even before he spoke at the U.N., The president has plunged America into the midst of a civil war that involves over 1,000 different militia. You need a mighty big scorecard just to figure out who's on whose side. We've asked a couple of experienced hands to help us do just that. Jonathan Landay is a senior national security and intelligence reporter for McClatchy Newspapers. He's also an unsung hero of Washington journalism. During the buildup to the 2003 invasion of Iraq, Landay and his colleague Warren Strobel dug deep to find evidence refuting the Bush administration's case for going to war. You can see Landay and Strobel at work in our documentary, Buying the War, at BillMoyers.com. Matthew Ho fought in Iraq as a Marine Corps captain. He then joined the Foreign Service and became the widely praised senior American civilian in Afghanistan's Zabul province. That's a Taliban stronghold. He resigned in protest when he came to believe the war was making things worse and American soldiers should not be dying in what was a long-running civil war. Matthew Ho is now a senior fellow at the Center for International Policy in Washington, D.C. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Let me read you something one of your colleagues, Ryan Cooper, wrote in theweek.com. Who's ready to squander? Billions of dollars on yet another pointless, almost certain to backfire war in Iraq. The mainstream media, for one, he says, which for weeks has been shamelessly fear-mongering the supposed threat by the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. ISIS poses no specific credible threat to the U.S. Indeed, ISIS's slickly produced beheading videos are quite obviously designed to bait the media into stoking a panic and it has succeeded spectacularly. Jonathan? See, I, I disagree with that interpretation, because I think the point of those videos was to try and undermine that turn in my American public opinion. Don't come back here. Don't get really? involved. Uh, this is what's going to happen to your soldiers. Look what happened to your soldiers before. You have to look at some of their previous videos where they show American tanks being blown up, American soldiers being killed. Don't get involved here. And I think that that's what I, I don't see um, uh, them being able to bait, at least at this point, 
uh, uh, Obama into coming back because he's, he, you know, beyond special forces, I don't think there's any way he's going to introduce American forces on the ground at this point. I don't think he wants to. I th- it, he may at have to. Point. At this point, he may have to. Um, we'll have to wait and see. But I'm not, again, I'm not sure that that was the point of the videos, to suck Americans in. And in fact, in one of the videos, after the Stephen Sotloff beheading, the executioner turns to the camera and says, back off, leave us alone. Matthew? I do believe they were bait. I think this is, they, they want to validate their narrative that the Islamic State is the protector of Islam, that is protecting the people, the, the, the faith, the culture of their lands from the uh, quote-unquote crusaders, for, for lack of a, of, a, of a better term. I think there's a deeper problem here, and it's one that, we, I haven't, that the president has touched on. He touched on it uh, at, in his speech to the UN General Assembly. And I think it's one that could really prove to be the undoing of this campaign that he's unleashing. And that is, the immediate threat is the Islamic State, but it's a phenomenon. It's a consequence of decades, centuries of despotic rule in that part of the world by, by, by dictators, by kings who, uh, who have pr- provided no semblance of responsible governance, no accountability. If you look at what's going on in the Middle East today, you have sh- enormous poverty, uh, you have this huge youth bulge, an uh, uh, enormous number of, of young men between the ages of, of 17 and, 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 and 30 who ha- are underpaid or have no, uh, no jobs, uh, you know, are, are, are lack skills. Uh, you have this massive corruption that favors a very uh, thin elite in all of these countries. And now the United States, you know, I remember when when the Obama, the newly elected Obama, went to Cairo for that historic speech. 2009. Where, exactly. Right. Where he delivers his speech and he says, you know, we're not, no more business as usual by the United States. We're not going to align ourselves with these regional despots. We want to see um, uh, reform. We want to see democratic reform. And what has he done now is he's realigned himself with these regional uh, powers, with these regional despots, including the guy... Who, they, who this administration uh, condemned for the coup that he staged in Egypt, overthrowing a elected government, albeit, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood, and, and I'm talking about Egyptian President Sisi. I mean, he is now counted as part of this coalition. So if you are one of these, these young men who are looking at all of this and seeing and listening to the propaganda about Islam being under threat from the West, um, this Islamic State thing has an appeal. And, and if, we dis- if, if somehow uh, Obama succeeds in degrading and eventually destroying the Islamic State, something will come along to replace it because those problems that, that create this phenomenon are not going to go away. But meanwhile, the Islamic State is a threat to Saudi Arabia, a threat mm-hmm. to uh, Jordan, a threat to Qatar, a threat to Bahrain, those autocratic regimes you were talking about, a threat ultimately possibly to, to Egypt. So why isn't it an option for the president to have said or to say, this is your, this is your doorstep. If you don't put the billions of dollars you're earning from oil and all of those young men who are available into the fighting of the Islamic State, we're not going to be there. This is your fight. Because our priorities for, for decades have been on military first solutions, not on political solutions. We have, as Johnson said, we've embraced uh, dictatorships. Uh, Backing ourselves out of those relationships is very hard in a Washington, D.C., where 
the climate of politics uh, overwhelms everything else. Uh, so you see President Obama, and I'm, I'm reminded of an article you wrote, Bill, five years ago on Lyndon Johnson's decision to escalate the Vietnam War and how Johnson at that point felt that there was no good was going to come out of that escalation, that there was no purpose in it. But he, how could he face down these senators not, if he didn't stand up? to? And I feel that President Obama has the same challenge. How does he not come across as being weak-willed or not tough on terror? Uh, the other thing, too, is that, again, we, we, for decades now, this has been our policy. So how do you extricate yourself from that policy? We spend a trillion dollars a year on national security in this country. When you add up the Department of Defense, Department of State, CIA, Veterans Affairs, interest on debt, the number that strikes me the most about how much we're committed financially to these wars and to our current policies is we have spent $250 billion already just on interest payments on the debt we've incurred for the Iraq and Afghan wars. So we're in this system that how do you start to break down, how do you start to dismantle, because the result has been these Frankensteins like the Islamic State. Here's the dilemma. The whole world has seen what ISIS is doing now. When you see evil playing out in front of your eyes, rape, beheadings, whole villages wiped out, don't you, as a human being, as a free nation, have to do something? You have to remember that this is not a singular, unique event what occurred this summer, that all sides have been guilty of atrocities in this conflict. Half a million Iraqis have been killed in the war since 2003. To put that in perspective, in World War II, the United States lost 400,000 people killed. So if you look at the conflict now in Iraq and understanding that this continuing cycle of violence, this continuing cycle of retribution, this continuing cycle of, of sectarian hatred, that groups like the Islamic State, which I characterize as a parasite of war, uh, benefit from. How do you stop that cycle? Because as horrific as the killings have been this past summer, remember, 10,000 civilians were killed in Iraq last year. How do you stop it from 20,000 next year? When we look at, at, at the situation there um, I, I, and, and the utter horror with which um, you know, let's, we're, we're focused on two videos of two Americans being killed, but there were other videos. There were videos where they killed 600 people, 600 young Iraqi, young Iraqi men. They've slaughtered almost men from a tribe in Syria that tried to resist them, hundreds of them. And you say to yourself, as a human being, can we allow this to go on? And, and I think, you know, we're talking about the complexity of this, but it's really hard to put yourself in the shoes of the President of the United States who commands the only military in the world that's capable, perhaps, of stopping this. Here you have this horrendous civil war in Syria, and I've been there twice now this year, and I have, you know, I've covered a lot of war. I have never seen such urban destruction mm. anywhere, anywhere. I don't know how they're going to rebuild that country. Two to three million refugees, Syrian refugees, that's just and six and a half country. million it's, inwardly it's displaced people. It's nine million people. people displaced, but beyond that, and, and you see like street after street, town after town, just completely devastated. Infrastructure, bridges, roads, hospitals, schools. How are they going to rebuild that? How are you going to repatriate the two to three million people who are living outside of Syria? I think something like 20% of the Lebanese population is Syrian now. How are you going to put that all back together again? If you allow that to continue, then you're looking at something that perhaps 
a, a disaster on an even greater scale. So here you are as the President of the United States, preaching human rights, trying to repair as best you can this unbelievable damage that was done to the United States reputation um, and its ability to wield soft power, diplomatic power, by the uh, invasion of Iraq, by uh, Guantanamo, by Abu Ghraib, by the CIA's torture program, and you say to yourself, I, may, I, need, I need to do something because you got the pressure on you as the only commander of a military in the world that can do something about it. But is it conceivable that the president, looking at the situation there, thinks that air power, that you can bomb the Islamic State into submission and oblivion? I don't think he believes that. And I, I think he said as much when he says that there's no military solution, only a political solution to these conflicts. However, I, unfortunately, I feel that's just lip service. And unfortunately, I feel that we are going to join in the violence in Syria without any end state, without any goal, without any ability to uh, uh, finalize some type of agreement that is going to bring about an end to the killing. Uh, one of my favorite lines I've heard about our Syria plan is that it's not a strategy, it's a spending plan. Um, that we are going to, we have authorized $500 million to train 5,000 Syrian rebels, uh, moderate rebels, and uh, you've been to a lot of combat zones, and have you ever seen anything moderate in combat? You know I mean, like, no, there's I, mean, no, right, there's, I, mean like, I don't know where this term comes from, but this moderate, uh, and that we're going to train them at a cost of 100000 uh, for one guy, it's going to cost a train, to train, 100000 per person, and we're going to send them to, to Saudi Arabia, the people who have uh, uh, been training and fostering and, 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 and helping a lot of these groups like al-Nusra, which is the al-Qaeda organization, or the Islamic State uh, that are now out of control, um, in response to a beheading video, which to me makes no sense because Saudi Arabia beheaded 19 people in August. This past August? Yes. For? One was for witchcraft or sorcery, uh, several for drug possession. Uh, in Saudi Arabia, you can be beheaded for a whole list of offenses, including adultery and homosexuality. Um, and uh, These are our good allies in are, this new coalition. It, and this is where I think a lot of us say, what are we doing here? That This makes no sense. All we are going to achieve is perpetuation of this conflict. Now, at least I think the Pentagon and the White House have been honest about that. This is going to take years. But what's going to be achieved? How are we going to achieve it? Are we just going to bomb? I think it's quite striking that the president said the model for these operations will be Somalia and Yemen. And then almost as soon as he said that, Yemen descended into utter chaos. Hundreds of dead on the streets of the capital of Yemen. The prime minister uh, uh, forced to uh, abdicate. Um, and that's the model. So is this really our model for the Middle East that we are going to bomb countries continuously, take part in civil wars, sometimes supporting one side, maybe supporting the other, with no, uh, uh, no means or no real desire or effort to achieve a peace? What are the options in Syria? I mean, I just wrote down what seems to me to be the conundrum. The jihadists want to control Syria, which is 70% Sunni, so they should have a natural constituency there since they are Sunni. To stop ISIS, mustn't there be a truce between President Assad and the rebels who are trying to bring him down? And given the mutual hatred between Assad and the rebels, between the Sunnis and the Shias, how can that political 
solution be found. Absolutely. And I think that's what kept Obama out of there for so long. How he's going to be able to to create these buffers between, okay, so we're going to bomb uh, the Islamic State, uh, but we're not going to help Assad by doing that, uh, and we're only going to help uh, these moderates. And, you know, I understand the conundrum, but then if you're uh, if you're looking at that part of the world, you're looking at uh, the potential collapse of Iraq into this absolute chaos where this group is going to be able to um, uh, expand, recruit. Um, let's not forget, its goal is not just stopping at Iraq and Syria. They want Lebanon. They want Shams, which is this mm-hmm. region uh, of Iraq, uh, uh, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, and parts of Turkey. But they have also said, they have also said before the Americans got involved, that eventually they plan to go after Western targets too, Americans and Europeans. Let's you not don't forget, doubt that, do you? No, not at all. In fact, we've seen evidence of this already. There, I forget what the, I think the latest estimate is 15,000 foreign fighters now um, are in Syria and Iraq, mostly fighting for the Islamic State. Over 100 Americans over a thousand Europeans, they all have passports. Um, There is evidence indeed that uh, this group is, um, if not planning, at least encouraging its foreign uh, supporters to stage attacks. Now, are these existential threats to the countries in which they're taking place? No, I I think that has been so overblown, the idea that these Islamic terrorists are an existential threat, particularly to the United States. No, they're more of a threat to the politicians who are in power who (laughs) fail to stop uh, these attacks, and yet, nevertheless, um, the duty of these leaders are to protect their citizens. And I think that also, to a certain extent, drove Obama. But, you know, it's hard to put yourself in his shoes. He ran for an election, for election to be the leader of the United States. As a leader, you have to make some incredibly difficult decisions. Whether he's made the right ones in this case, we'll have to wait and see. Has he? No, I think this is a a, a very tragic mistake the president is making uh, intervening in these conflicts. Uh, I think it's giving the Islamic State exactly what they want. Um, I go back to some of the the guiding strategy that Osama bin Laden had. And bin Laden said, all we have to do is send two Mujahideen to the farthest point east, raise the the, the flag of jihad and al-Qaeda, and the American generals will come racing and exhaust themselves economically militarily, politically. Uh, and I think he, that strategy has been successful. Uh, we're looking at costs for these wars already uh, totaled at $6 trillion at our lifetime. We have suffered casualties much greater than I think the American people understand. There is the 7,000 dead, the 50,000 wounded. But of the two, two and a half million veterans who served, including myself, a third of us uh, suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder or some other type of mental uh, health injury. We also have 250,000 veterans and service members who suffer from traumatic brain injuries. So I don't think people understand the level of violence that we're, we're, we're talking about in these conflicts. And I think by jumping back, let alone, again, the half million Iraqis killed, the tens and tens of thousands of Afghan killed, the, the spillover effects with the war in Syria. Um, so I think jumping back into these conflicts is a very tragic mistake, a very short-sighted mistake. Um, and I think it plays right into the hands of, of groups like the Islamic State that need sectarian tension. That's why I think jumping in on one side of the conflict, it, it, it makes the, exasperates the problem. You know, I'm not sure this conversation was a good idea because listening <laughs> to you, both of you, I think, aren't we crazy to think we can untangle a mess 
like this and bring peace on earth, goodwill to all men? I think this is the lesson we learn from it. So stop our policy of trying to play one group against the other. I mean, this has gone back for decades. This was policy under Kissinger, under Brzezinski, of playing one ethnic group against another, playing one religion against another. And for me, it's stop trying to pick sides in these conflicts. Stop rewarding one side with a lot of American cash at the expense. I look at it this way. If you went into to Kentucky and West Virginia or wherever the Hatfield and McCoys were and you back the Hatfields, what would the McCoys do? They'd fight harder and they would try and find some other. I mean, so stop. And you don't even know why the Hatfields are fighting the McCoys. And, and so, I mean, it's a very simple way to say it, but stop getting in the middle of these conflicts. I, I think, that, you know, to a certain extent, he's right. Matt's right. But I agree, the odds that we're going to be able to put, you know, and not to bring peace to the Middle East, no. But I don't even know if that's really, underneath everything, the goal. I think right now, perhaps the goal is, let's just try and contain it and stop it from spreading. If we can do that, perhaps we can call that a success. Matthew Ho, Jonathan Landy, thank you very much for being with me. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Bill. At our website, BillMoyers.com, more on the Islamic State and the international response, and our documentary, Buying the War. That's all at BillMoyers.com. I'll see you there, and I'll see you here next time. Moyers and Company is produced by Public Affairs Television. You can learn more about the team that collaborates to produce the series at BillMoyers.com. Funding is provided by... Ann Gumowitz, encouraging the renewal of democracy. Carnegie Corporation of New York, supporting innovations in education, democratic engagement, and the advancement of international peace and security at Carnegie.org. The Ford Foundation, working with visionaries on the front lines of social change worldwide. The Herb Alpert Foundation, supporting organizations whose mission is to promote compassion and creativity in our society. The John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, committed to building a more just, verdant, and peaceful world. More information at macfound.org. Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues. The Kohlberg Foundation, Barbara G. Fleischman. And by our sole corporate sponsor, Mutual of America, designing customized individual and group retirement products. That's why we're your retirement company.